Good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you, and welcome to everybody joining us online. Uh, my name is Aaron Stern, just for sake of an introduction, if you're brand new with us. I'm the lead pastor here, and so grateful to gather together with the people of God to worship the living King. So I was in high school in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, and I remember in the early 90s, I believe it was 1990, I couldn't quite remember the exact date as I was preparing today, when I got to go to what was, uh, today we have the Pepsi Center or Ball Arena or whatever it's called for the Denver, where the Denver Nuggets play, but back in the day they used to play in a different building that's been torn down since called McNichols Arena. And I was going to watch the Nuggets because... Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls are coming to town. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, uh, will be, <laughs> uh, all you LeBron fans, you can, you can talk late, we could talk later, but, but I remember, I remember walking into the arena and our seats were on the very back row, top of the arena at the very back row, nosebleed section, but I was so excited to be there. I am convinced that I would have had way better viewing had I watched on TV, the whole thing, but, but even before the game started, there was a buzz in the arena. Why? Because of the Nuggets? I don't think so. <laughs> because Michael Jordan was there. Michael Jordan, I, remember, I still remember the dunk. I remember watching Michael Jordan. I, I had Michael Jordan posters on my wall. I have, I still have Michael Jordan Wheaties boxes uh, in some storage room somewhere in our house because, because I, I was so excited about Michael Jordan. There was a buzz in the air and it drew a big crowd. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus was drawing large crowds and there was a buzz about Jesus. As he starts moving from town to, tra- to town, he's drawing crowds. And there was an electricity in the air. Did you hear that Jesus is here? Did you hear that Jesus is in the next town over? Did you hear about what Jesus did? And why was that? Why was he drawing crowds? And why was there a buzz in the air around him? Was it because he had a magnetic personality? Was it because he, because of some miracles maybe? Was it because he was a carpenter? Those may have been different things that maybe people were interested in, but it wasn't actually the reason that there was such electricity and such buzz around Jesus. It was his message. It was what he was saying that was causing such a stir. So the question maybe for each one of us today is what was Jesus' message? What was the message that was so electric? What was the message that was so stirring? Can you summarize it in one sentence? If someone were to ask you, what was Jesus' message? One sentence, I wonder what we would all say. What was Jesus all about? Was it the golden rule? You know, treat others as you would like to be treated. Love your neighbor. That's another famous line of Jesus. Love your enemies, but certainly another step further and and pretty profound. Those, in fact, weren't the summary messages of Jesus. They had to do with his summary, his big message. The big message of Jesus that was causing the stir in his day was this. Summarize what Jesus had to say. The kingdom of God has come near. That was what was causing the stir. 
You're like, huh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'm not sure, like, run to the next town, exciting. But this was the heartbeat of his message, and this was the number one theme of all of his preaching. Now, maybe for us today, it's not the first thing that we think of, nor do we think, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's crowd drawing. But for the people listening to him in that first century, that phrase would have set off a firework of imagination. It would have been so lodged and loaded with meaning in their imagination because they had been immersed in the scriptures and immersed in what this was meaning. And so it was packed full of excitement, of meaning for each of his hearers. So anybody know the first mention of the concept of kingdom in the Bible? Bible trivia, if you ever want to, I don't know, I suppose it depends on what kind of party it is, if you want to, but this may, this may help you at this party, or it may not help you at the party, so, you know, leave that up to you. First mention of the use of the word or concept of kingdom in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What was God doing? He was giving the first humans, a mandate, a ruling mandate. He tells them to subdue or have dominion is another way that that gets described, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So when you walk outside and you see the geese like walking around, I rule you, you know, is that what he's talking about? Rulership. Subduing dominion. God shares his power and his ruling with humans. This word rule or subdue or dominion is kind of the verbiage or vocabulary of kings, queens. And in his sharing of this and encouraging and mandating that humans subdue and rule. Not saying like do whatever you want. He actually is saying it within the confines of bring loving order into the world through your leadership. But then very quickly, Genesis chapter 3, that plan in the way that it was designed to go gets totally disrupted and turned upside down. Because rebellion happens and sin and evil and death are welcomed into the world. And, and humans, and we see this played out throughout the Old Testament, we see, and even into our own day, we have human rulership that is not all about loving order, but in fact, oftentimes about selfish order or unloving order. So what is God going to do once this happens? 
What does God do with the fact that the way he designed it and the what he shared with humanity gets upended? How is he going to reassert his rule? He creates a people. We jump ahead to Genesis chapter 12, and he, every kingdom has a group of people that are part of the kingdom, and, and so he has Israel. Starts with Abraham, and that line of Abraham turns into the Israelites, the Jewish people. But within a few hundred years, and we get to the second book of the Bible, we get to Exodus These people whom God has chosen to carry out and reassert his rule are being ruled by the Egyptians, who is overseen by and ruled by Pharaoh. And if anything, he, at this point in history, is one of the most significant, not only significant leaders, but also the most evil of rulers in the way that he is treating people, in the way that he is treating the Israelites, they are not ruling, they are being ruled, not by good, loving order, but by evil order and unloving ways. And so God calls Moses to be the deliverer of his people. Read through the book of Exodus, and we have, after 400 years of slavery, The Israelites, led by Moses, out of Egypt, they get to the Red Sea, and through a miraculous hand of God, the Red Sea is parted, and the Israelites walk through on dry land, get to the other side, and second piece of trivia for that amazing party that you're at, first time that God is mentioned as ruler or king, Exodus chapter 15 starts with a song as they celebrate on the other side of the Red Sea. Look what God has done. And at the end of that, he says, they sing, the Lord reigns forever and ever. God reigns. This is the first mention of God as a ruling king. And this theme is repeated over and over again throughout the Old Testament. If you read the Psalms, you'll hear this verbiage of of when God will and His glory will cover the earth. What's He talking about? God's ruling and reigning. Go through the prophets. And what do we have, especially in the book of Isaiah, but it is sprinkled throughout all the prophets, talking about this, when, when this king comes, They're longing for the king to rule and to reign and to overthrow and for them not to be under oppression. And and it is woven all throughout the Old Testament. And just like we see with the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt and going through the Red Sea, when God becomes king, people are rescued and evil is dealt with. That is what happens as they come out of Egypt. That is what is longed for by the by the psalmists and by the prophets. That is what is longed for by the people of Israel. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, now hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years later, this has been worked into their imagination, worked into their hungers and their longings and what they're hoping for, what they've been praying for, what they've been agonizing and aching for as they've been taken out of their homeland and exiled and scattered and all these things. God When are you going to become king? And when are you going to rescue us and deal with the evil? That's what's in them. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, 
nothing but excitement. And really, 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 we've been waiting, we've been praying, we've been thinking, we've been longing. That's why in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, that's John the baptizer, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We use the word good news every now and then. You know, good news, we got some snow, it's going to help with the water. That's good news. CSU won a really close basketball game. That was great. Good news. That's good. But when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, this word good news is a big, powerful word. This word good news is the Greek word euangelion, where we get the word evangelism. Because euangelion was out proclaiming and communicating and communicating this. Good news in that day meant this. A new king is on the throne. A new king is on the throne. A victory has been won. So if a a Caesar had won and maybe beat an advancing king or taken new territory, then the good news would have been sent out. Hey, guess what? New king is on the throne. That would have been communicated to the territory where they just, they just won it. And as a result, hey, you're under new rulership. So what is Jesus saying? Repent and believe the good news. There's a new king on the throne. A victory has been won. Matthew chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You might say, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what's the difference? They are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. For Jewish writers and hearers, oftentimes they would, they would not use the word God as a way of giving God and even the reference of his name reverence. And so to avoid using the word God, they would say heaven. So it means the same thing. But it says that he went out preaching. Does that mean that he like did this potentially? And he did. Yes, he did it in the synagogues. But preaching had a, also was a more loaded word in this particular day. It was, it was about an announcement and a proclaiming from the par- palace, a, a heralding and, and a proclamation, a declaring. It was not a, a communication in uncertain terms. You know, like, hey, everybody, the kingdom of God might kind of sort of be here. No, it is here, he is saying. He is proclaiming. This with confidence and strength, it's proclaiming it, saying this is good news, there's a new king, a victory has been won. That is stirring the hearts of the people and creating this electricity amongst them. N.T. Wright, British New Testament theologian, says any first century Jew hearing someone talking about God's kingdom would know this meant revolution. See, because it meant revolution, like a new king is in town, this, this means something for the current people who are in charge. See, this is why he was crucified. He wasn't crucified because he told people to love each other. He was crucified because he was reasserting God's rule. And in that day and in Galilee and in Jerusalem and in Israel, they were under Roman rule. So this phrase, the kingdom of God is near, is loaded politically, sociologically, theologically. It is packed full. So maybe just for, for succinctness and for clarity, let's define the kingdom. 
A word for the year, let's define it. Kingdom is the rule and reign of God. The rule and reign. I love how Dallas Willard, author, theologian, philosopher, said, the kingdom is where what God wants done is done. So what has God want done? He wants justice and forgiveness, loving of neighbor and enemy. He wants generosity, giving to the needy and the poor, mercy, meekness, comfort. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, as we said it just a little bit earlier, what does Jesus pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God's rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, God's rule and reign is complete. So may more on some of that come here. So when Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we're going here for the next few months, today is kind of a big intro, kind of a big overview, because, because the next few chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we're going to go through slowly and, and talk about for the next several months, are all about what it looks like to participate in the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. And he says things like this, blessed are the poor for poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first God's rule and reign, and all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus spoke in parables throughout his ministry. And what does he so often say in his parables? The kingdom of God is like, and it's like a pearl of great price that's worth selling everything to gain. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, tiny, but will grow. It's like wheat and weeds. It's like leaven and bread. The kingdom of God, he's trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like. So I want to just come around a couple of things that are good takeaways for us for not just today, but as we to kind of put on the right lenses as we go through the Sermon on the Mount in these upcoming weeks and months. First one is this, the kingdom is coming and has already come. You might be like, that's confusing. That doesn't make any sense, Aaron. Scholars call this the already but not yet. Jesus is saying it's near, but then you would think, okay, here we are in 2022, and um, God's rule, he, he's reasserted his rule. Uh, look around, Aaron. Watch the news. Doesn't seem like God's ruling. It seems like evil's ruling in a lot of ways. The fullness of God's rule and reign will be fully manifest and experienced when Jesus comes again. When all things will be redeemed, all things will be made right. And so I like to think then that the future has invaded the present. The future fullness of the kingdom invades the present. And that's why Jesus says, you, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just when Jesus returns, but a little bit now as a sign of what will come. Healing. Jesus said those were signs and wonders. Why? For, a, a, for somebody to see that was blind was a signal and a sign of what will one day be for every person in the world. As N.T. Wright says, what God did for Jesus on Easter, resurrection, 
and making things right, defeating of death, will one day happen for the whole world. See, the fact that Jesus is king is indicated by the resurrection because he, he communicated that he ruled over even maybe what is the greatest enemy, and that is the enemy of death. So the kingdom is coming and has already come. Number two, the kingdom must be entered and experienced. Anybody, I'm sure you've been noticing this box, I'm guessing, while I've been talking up here. Hopefully it's not too distracting. Um, but if you're, you're familiar, this is probably, this is a Lamar's Donuts box. Lamar's Donuts um, started in Kansas City in 1960 by Ray Lamar. Uh, it says since 1933 on the box, but that's just because that's when he started making them and all that kind of stuff. But the actual store, first store in a gas station in Kansas City, Ray Lamar, 1960, franchised in 1990. Now Lamar's is in five states, 26 stores. In 2005, they moved their headquarters to Denver like every smart Kansas City person should do. <laughs> I mean, why? If, you, if you're in... Anyway... Tagline, simply a better donut. Since the very beginning, Lamar's Donuts have been handmade every day. They're handmade. It's 100 plus varieties. Lamar's bars. Got one of those in here. Uh, I've got a Snickers Lamar's bar right here. Look at that. I've got uh, cake donuts. I'm a cake donut fan. I've got some glazed donuts. I've got some sprinkles. I've got a Bismarck. I've got a maple donut. I like those too. Um, we've got some, a chocolate-covered donut. We've got some nuts on one. But 100-plus varieties. Voted the best of northern Colorado. Actually, voted the best of Colorado. It's in lists from all over the country. Wherever Lamar's builds a store, they always partner with organizations in the community in which they've built a store. Oftentimes, they'll partner with the Salvation Army, and they'll oftentimes partner with first responders to communicate their support for the community, for police officers, for firefighters, for uh, medical workers. And so, so they'll support them with... with uh, finances, but in 2017, they decided on National Donut Day to deliver donuts to first responders using drones, like you do. As a result of that, uh, they got onto, they ended up in 450 different media outlets. National news picked them up. They were mentioned on Jay Leno. It's not just Lamar's Donuts is Lamar's coffee and donuts. They roast their beans and they have a rule that all those donuts are, are, excuse me, those coffee beans are to be in stores within 48 hours. So I could go on and on. You can go to lamars.com, learn more. <laughs> they have a fabulous Wikipedia page. You can read comments about what people say and what lists they've made it onto and you know, we could talk about Lamar's and we could talk about the box and we could talk about the different styles and the kinds and I could talk about, you know, taking my boys there. I can talk about all of those things, but I don't think that that's what Ray Lamar had in mind when he made Lamar's Donuts. This is what he had in mind. 
Oh, man. Especially after talking about them like that, my mouth was watering already before I even ate it. (laughs) Psalm chapter 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say observe. It's taste and see. See, you can't really get the full experience of a Lamar's donut by examining it from the outside. And the same is true about the kingdom of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote in his book called The Kingdom of God, men and women will never know the truth of Christianity, their blessings that it gives until they have given themselves to it. Or, as Yoda said, do or not do, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. I, I dare you to really engage in the kingdom of God this year. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, I dare you not just to take notes, but to actually like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and step into this. Because the kingdom of God must be entered and experienced. Number three, the kingdom of God is communal. Plural pl- pronouns are used all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is communicating the power of we which I think has such powerful connotations in a world that's all about I. Life in God's kingdom means being a certain kind of people together. Walking with Jesus, without a doubt, is very personal, but it is not private. I love what Charles Moore writes in his book called Following the Call. The church's witness is the communal embodiment of the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, the kingdom is to reflect and be the people that shows and lives out what Jesus talked about. Not just talking about what Jesus talked about, embodying it as Jesus did. The church is to be a kingdom outpost, to show the world what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God. Today's City Group Sunday, our all the work that put, is put into finding leaders, training leaders, creating groups, putting a, 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 a list together, all the different things. It's not just because, oh yeah, you know, I hope you find somebody to go bowling with. Being a part of a city group is kingdom activity. Being in life-giving, Jesus-centered community where we're Living out and working on living out and being kingdom people is kingdom activity and a necessity for what it is all about. And number four, you can't have the kingdom without the king. Which is really tough in our day and age because we want to be our own king or queen. But too often, I think it's kind of like wanting the fruit of a tree without wanting the root. I just want the fruit, but let's cut it off from the, the root. The kingdom of God comes from King Jesus. 
And so if we're going to live under God's rule and reign and experience the fruit, can't cut it off from the king. In order to live under God's rule and reign, we follow Jesus. That's the invitation. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me, live under the rule and reign of God. and You will experience the fullness of life. And so as we close here today, I just want to, I want to provide a space for anybody here who maybe needs to take that next step to say, yeah, you know what? I like the ideas of the kingdom, generosity and kindness and, and loving of neighbor. And I like all that, but I've tried to get it or I want it without the king, but but they go hand in hand. See, when Jesus says, follow me, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near and he's inviting people to enter the kingdom, to participate in the kingdom, he's not saying, hey, can I be your like spiritual advisor? Will you make me your consultant? Will you make me your spiritual guru? Will you make me your life coach? I mean, I've got some good advice. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I got good news. Good news, everybody. New king in town. Victory's been won. I'm the king. You want the kingdom? Follow me. So if that's you here today, you're like, yep, I've been trying to do this on my own. Self-help project, self-salvation project, if you will. You know the problem with self-help? is that self was the problem. Which means that self isn't usually the solution to the problem. Jesus is the solution. The kingdom of God is the way. If that's you here today, you just under your breath say, God, I give you my life. as a sign of trust, as a beginning of a statement that says, you are king. For everyone here, I wanna encourage you over these next several months to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 once a month. You just read it once a month just to immerse yourself in the ideas of what Jesus was communicating. Become more familiar with Jesus' kingdom manifesto so that we might immerse ourselves in his words and his ways. So sometime over the next month, throughout this month of February, we read through five, six, and seven. Maybe you do it with your kids. You do it at the dinner table, but read through it. Read through it slowly. You can read through it more than once, but, but once a month. And if you're not a part of a city group, today's your day. Go online, meet some people, ask some questions, figure out what it's going to look like. We also have a little gift for everybody here uh, on one of your chairs in front of you is a little king sticker. It's the logo from Mill City, but it's a, it's a king crown communicating Jesus is king. I want you to everybody grab one, find a place, put it on your car, put it on your water bottle, put it on your computer, put it on your forehead. I don't care. Do what you want with it. But community, it's a way for us to be reminded. Jesus is king. I am a subject of the king. And before I close in prayer for all of us, 
I want you to know that we have Lamar's Donuts for everybody. And so you get a taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we need you. We love you. We honor you. We trust you. So God, we thank you that the message that you came with through your son, Jesus, was not actually that I'm going to overthrow the Romans. It was so much bigger than that. That the message you came with was I'm going to overthrow sin and death. I'm not just here to to establish one nation. I'm here to infect and create rulership over all the world. So God, I pray that each one of us individually would participate in and step into and live into the reality of the kingdom of God. May it not just be a word that we're familiar with, but may it be something that we participate in and those whom we participate with, kingdom people. Would you continue to make Mill City a kingdom outpost, communicating the truth and the life of Jesus? This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said,